Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire, I have uh, another in my series, uh, my special series on former mob guys who experienced a uh, spiritual conversion, oftentimes in prison, sometimes after, right after, and, and you know, what happened and, and what it's like now for them. So I think it's something a little bit different than, than what we normally bring, and and I like to I like to look at people as whole people, not just, you know, like a character, a, a one sided, one dimensional, you know, gangster, mobster or whatever, because people are not one dimensional. And and even the worst guys, usually their their grandkids will like them many times. I think Al Capone's probably kids liked him and, and those kinds of things. But but people are never one dimensional. And and there's many people out there that are multidimensional because they have lived on both sides of the life. And. And and this is another one of them now. It's is my friend Robert Borelli and my friend, my new friend Robert Borelli from, I believe you live down in Texas, don't you, Robert? Hey, that's where I'm living now. Yes. So uh, long ways from your accent, <laughs> where your accent came from, right? <laughs> oh, without a doubt, uh, I believe God sent me to a foreign land. <laughs> yeah, it probably feels like it sometimes. <laughs> Whenever you start talking. Uh, people probably like, oh, oh, what's this Yankee doing down here? <laughs> well, I get a lot of that. I'll bet. They say, well, I love your accent. And I say, what accent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we say here, too. <laughs> oh, you got a cool accent. <laughs> what accent? <laughs> but, you know, if I go south, they think I'm from up north. If I go up north, they think from the deep south. So I'm kind of caught oh, in between. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, Robert, uh, you have had an interesting life. Grew up on the streets of New York, I believe. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what that was like and, and what and then and then let's morph into, you know, what happened. You had a huge spiritual upheaval that changed your life and, and to go from the life I read about, the life that you led and being involved with um, gangsters, real deal, Gambino people and and being involved with cocaine and and then to switch over and live the life as a, as a minister that you've been living for several years and being of enormous help to people that are in spiritual crisis uh, or in, and other kinds of problems and helping them deal with that. You know, well, how did you get here? What what happened? What, what was it like for you? Uh, did that always seem like an uncomfortable life, that, that life of a mobster or a gangster or a criminal? No, to be honest with you, I really enjoyed it, you know. I guess, you know, um, you know, I don't I don't use this as an excuse for my behavior, but I, I think the influences that I was around, the uh, uh, culture that I was around in Brooklyn, New York, like I didn't know that. But as a kid, but, you know, as a young kid, you know, mafia movies became very popular. Yeah. Well, not, maybe not so mafia gangster movies, let me put it that way. I think back in like the 1930s, and then they were showing it when I was growing up. You know, James Cagney and <laughs> and uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart, and you had Robert G. Uh, Rob, uh, Edward Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. You know, so I was infatuated with those kind of movies as uh, you know in an early age, and I always rooted for the bad guys. I didn't want to see them get caught. <laughs> Even the Untouchables, like I was rooting for the other guys. I was hoping the feds didn't get caught. But. Uh, I learned later on that my neighborhood was run by the Gambino crime family. Basically, Gambino crime family protected the neighborhood. 
And, uh, you know, in them days, that's what it was really about. These guys opened up social clubs. Of course, they had their own agenda, but we didn't see that. As a kid, I seen, you know, I, I say I had three types of people that I could identify in my life. <clears throat> like my mom and dad, hardworking people, but had a hard time making ends meet. I was from a poor neighborhood. <clears throat> and a lot of the arguments in the home would be finances most of the time, like, we didn't have enough money for, I don't know, school or whatever it was, pay the rent, whatever it was that was going on. Uh, so uh, early age, that's not what I wanted to be like my dad. You know what I mean? That wasn't the, 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 the place that I wanted to be growing up. And then we had, uh, back in those days, in the early 60s, we had people coming back from the Vietnam War. Uh, a lot of them were either hung up on alcohol or drugs or stuff like that from coming back from, I don't know what they experienced because I was never there. Uh, and I didn't want to be like them. Then you had the guys who had these uh, for, uh, storefronts and they were storefronts. And then in the back, they, they had clubs and stuff like that. And they looked like they had it all together. You know, they had nice clothes. They, they kept themselves well. They had money in their pockets, you know, uh, drove nice cars. And the thing that I noticed the most is they got a lot of respect from everybody in the neighborhood. And then I later found out that they provided and protected the neighborhood. So I gravitated towards that at, at an early age. So I could say like when kids want to become firemen, you know, they think they want to be a fireman. They want to be, but I want to be a gangster. You know, that's kind of like I thought was my shortcut. I wasn't really good in school. I had a hard time learning, always in trouble in school. Uh, humiliated a lot in school so you know i got labeled in school as not a very bright child you know a troublemaker and stuff like that so uh, these guys when you know i started going by their club and they liked me and they accepted me and i'd go in and you know shoot pool and run errands for them and that's kind of like how it started from there just gravitated and i Hung around them more than I probably hung around my own family at, at one point in time. Yeah, but so they they in in a sense became your surrogate family, your 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 family, and those were the people, the older brothers and uncles that you might look up to and model your life after. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Was there was there any certain guy that 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 kind of took an interest in you? Maybe tried to develop you. Well, the first guy that I could remember was John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still remember the clothes he wore, the car he drove, the cologne he even had on. Wow. It was amazing. Uh, Jeannie uh, would come to the club every now and then, and it looked like he was the one that ran the club. Like everybody looked up to Jeannie, and maybe to his brother. I'm not sure, you know, the whole routine of that there. But uh, so when Jeannie came around, he got a lot of respect from everybody in the club. And I noticed that. And I, I gravitated towards Jeannie. And every now and then, Jeannie would come and take me to his brother's club over in Ozone Park. Um, and then what happened is they closed that club down. And then there was another club on Eastern Parkway. And I started hanging out there. And Blaze Carrazzo, Nicky Carrazzo's brother, took me in under his wing. And I started running fireworks for him and, and stuff like that, doing errands for him. And that's kind of where it started escalating. But at the age of 17 years old, I was hanging out with Anthony Ruggiano, whose dad was Fat Andy. Mm. And he was one of the first wise guys of the neighborhood. And that was in Ozone Park. 
and being around him and his dad had a great influence on where the projection of my life was going to wind up. Interesting. Now, I have a quick question here. Just an aside, I have noticed that mob guys in Kansas City also and other cities, they love fireworks. They like being in that fireworks business. What's up with that? Can you give I'm me some insight? Sure. Maybe the noise. <laughs> I don't know. We got a guy here that he's been a mob guy for a long time, and, and he is one of the main fireworks salesmen or you know, has a big uh, uh Fourth of July stands every year uh, all over the city. He's got several of them all over the city. So I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the thing of getting attention. I think when you start shooting off fireworks, you get everybody's attention. So maybe we were attention deprived in certain areas of our life and just give us some attention. But I love fireworks. I don't like them anymore today, but I loved them back then. Well, anyhow, I just always find that. Interesting. I have a local guy that I know pretty well, and he doesn't know why. And he said, "I can't explain it." So, uh, so you uh, you got in kind of with uh, Ruggiano and, and and that crew. So is that is that where you started? Uh, where you saw that there might be some money to be made in cocaine, or is that how did you get started? That came that? a little bit later on. Well, you you had well, my and I hate, I don't know how to phrase it, a, 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 a nicer way of phrasing it, because I don't like claim to fame, but that's the only way. Like my recognition of everybody in the game, being a client family, knowing about me was uh, when I got arrested in 2000, uh, well, I'm sorry, when I was 20 years old in 1975. Yeah. And that was for two murders and possession of a weapon. And I was a 20-year-old boy at that time. Mm -hmm. I uh, laid up in, in jail for quite a while, waited for a bail, and these guys bailed me out. And when they did bail me out, I got a lot of recognition and was brought around a lot of people, even other families. But then I went to trial on one murder, and there was five witnesses against me. And it was, I'm going to be honest with you, it was a murder that I didn't do. I was there, but I didn't do it. Yeah. And... Um, I kept my mouth shut, did the right thing, and went to trial. I beat the case, and after I beat the case, that's when I think I was paraded around like the up-and-coming star in the Gambino crime family. Because I guess I've proven my bones, so to speak, or yeah. whatever fr phrase you want to use for that, there, that I was a stand-up guy, and yeah. that's what I was brought around a lot of things. And then I started hanging out in Manhattan. That's where they were bringing me, and I would go with Nikki Carrazzo at that time, I was hanging out with him because he was hiding me out for a while when the when the cops were looking for me. And I got really close with Nikki, who became like my surrogate father, so to speak. I loved Nikki, uh, and uh, he would bring me there. And I seen that there was a lot of money in Manhattan. And when I asked what these guys did, most of them were drug dealers. And mm -hmm. that's when I got involved with the drug business. Uh, interesting. Do you, do you remember the name of that, the victim in that uh, murder, on the, in that trial? I'm just curious. No, I don't remember the name. Yeah. Sorry to say I don't. But yeah, I, I, I've seen that happen uh, here in Kansas City that a guy, you know, everybody knows that you got this heavyweight case and all you got to do is start talking and you can you can shuffle off that case in a second. And and you didn't do it. You took you went to clear the trial and, and came out on the other side and, and kept your mouth shut. So that says it said something about you to them. Well, they did, especially in that in that that lifestyle, because that was the big thing, you know, yeah. especially as a 20 year old young kid. 
facing maybe life in prison and yeah. you still kept your mouth shut and did the right thing. And eventually, I ended up beating that case. And that's what I was paraded around. Oh, yeah. He introduces the up and coming star, and it went to my head. And now I have to live up to the reputation that I'm getting. And that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. That That's what it gets hard is when you're not, maybe not that guy. You're not that cold blooded killer guy. But yet now they're looking at you like you are. That's uh, 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 That's a tough one to live up to. So you got into, you know, they were doing cocaine. They weren't supposed to, especially in the Gambinos, uh, uh, that uh, um, Ruggiero and uh, Sal and, and his brother, uh, Gotti's buddy. Uh, oh God, oh, I can't think of his first name now. But Angelo. Anyhow, yeah, Angelo. They were a fat, a fat Andy or fat, not Fat Andy. That was uh, that was the other one. So anyhow, they're all into cocaine. They're not supposed to. And, and so that puts you close to people that are doing that. And Mark Ryder and, and a bunch of them were doing that and making a lot of money. Now, how did that go down for you to just, you know, get started with small amounts or do a little mulin? Or how, yeah, how? Well, I, I would get, you know, because I was paraded around and had a, a, a good reputation, you know, in a lot of neighborhoods, you know, people knew who I was. Uh, so some of the guys thought that we, they would front me some cocaine, and uh, that's how I started. But the reason why is because the drugs was bringing in a lot of money, and and the thought process in my mind anyway was if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of friends. If you have a lot of friends, you have a lot of power, yeah. you know, and you kind of fit the image of Fat Andy and them kind of thing, yeah. even though I was a kid at the time. Uh, but what happened is I started doing the drugs and mm-hmm. then after a while the drugs did me in. Yeah. So uh, the drug business got involved in my personal business and I, I was got, got addicted to it. And that's what the downfall of my uh, career in the, in the, with the Gambino crime family. I started losing my reputation. Uh, interesting. Yeah, they they notice that <laughs> people start noticing that that you're not quite as sharp as you once were, and you're you're partying too much, and and you're not taking care of business when you start partying too much. That happens in private business too. So so then you experienced a, a an awakening moment, if you will. Now, did you go to jail? Did that happen to you in jail? You well, find- I've been in and out of prison numerous times, so. But the last time was in 1997, and I was captured by two two warrant officers. I was messed up on drugs. I passed out of somebody's apartment. Warrant officers found out where I was. I had a, a pending case in, in Queens County for selling drugs, and I had another federal case in uh, Miami-Dade County uh, for with the Gambino crime family when I was there doing work for them back in the 1975-76. I'm sorry, 1995, 1996. Yeah. So uh, Miami, that's that's kind of interesting. What were you? Were they bringing it in in Miami, and you helping them getting it on up to New York? Uh, no, the Miami case was a RICO case. Uh, I, I I went up there. I went out to to like I I got a message back in 1994, 95 from uh, I believe it was from Nikki, but they didn't tell me. But they just recommended, guys came to me and recommended that I go live with my mom. My mom had moved to Florida because uh, I was, I guess, maybe a liability to everybody because the drugs were there. I became a crackhead, actually. I was yeah. strung out on crack cocaine. 
And their recommendation was to go and move to Florida. So I moved to Florida, got myself cleaned up a little bit, worked a little, little job for a, a little bit. And then Nikki and them came down there and they had some business down there. And he sent for me and I went by him and uh, started doing some things for him. But it wasn't, wasn't drug related. It okay. Was about loan shopping and, and things of that nature. I was like going helping to collect money, going maybe leaning on somebody to pay their money. Yeah, that, that's what I was doing for them yeah. down there. And it became a Rico act. And then all right. Swag, cigarettes, and all that kind of stuff. So I got you. All right. So uh, let's get back to the original question. You experienced a, uh, a, a change in your life. Now, how did that come down? Well, <clears throat> back in 1993, my daughter was born through my girlfriend. And uh, seven weeks into her life, I walked out to get high one more time and never came back. And I was medicating myself on drugs, alcohol, whatever I can for quite a few years. Yeah. And then I told you I got locked up by those agents in 1997, and they brought me to Rikers Island. And there's two things that I always try to do every time I'm incarcerated. And one is to get a good attorney and get me out of the mess I got myself yeah. right, sir. And the second is to get commissary money so I can live as comfortable as possible yeah. while I am incarcerated. Uh, so I make a lot of phone calls, uh, and a lot of people shut me down. Nobody was willing to help me. Um, my daughter's mother, now after not seeing my daughter for two and a half years, was allowing me to talk to my daughter over the phone. And then I remember calling up this one girl who was a real good friend of mine, and she mentioned something about go read your Bible when I was asking for help, and I thought it was just a brush off. Yeah. Then a couple of weeks later, I'm talking to my daughter. My daughter's crying. And I said, Brianna, why are you crying? She said, because you won't come and see me. Mm -hmm. So I can't yeah. medicate myself. And yeah. it just crushed my heart, brought me to tears. I didn't want the people in Rikers Island to see me crying. So I slammed the phone down, ran back to myself. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic. It's got nothing to do with Catholicism. I was raised Roman Catholic, but I truly believe I knew about God, but didn't know God. Yeah. When I was crying on my knees in, in uh, my jail cell, I cried, God, if you're really to have somebody kill me or change me, I don't want to live with the pain that I'm living anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. And I just cried, God, please help me. God, please help me. And I believe God answered the sincerity of my 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 cries for help. And uh, I think I was born again at that point in time. And since that point in time, I've been following Christ. And at the same time, the federal government came into my life. And I would say they gave me an offer. Jesus gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. And the government gave me an offer I didn't refuse. And they said if I cooperate with them, they'll help me get a new life, a new, yeah. a new identity and all that. Place me in the witness protection program. And I took that offer. Well, interesting. That, that combination. I like that. Jesus gave you an offer you couldn't refuse. And the government gave you an offer that you did not refuse. So <laughs> nice turn of a phrase there. Now, did you have to testify or did? I did have one trial, but I was used for a lot of other, other trials. And I, I, I tell you, my intentions was not to, 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 I, I don't want to know how to say it, you know, like I understand in that lifestyle, 
people have to identify with me now today is a rat and you know no yeah. good and all that kind of thing and and i understand their point of view i don't agree with it so when people say oh, you're talking about that rat and then i get that message i say no i'm not really a rat i'm just a guy that finally started telling the truth so all my life has been a big lie so yeah. uh, that's what i i believe but um it's just a, a change of life that happened and i i don't know uh really so so when the the government then did they cut short your you 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 were under a sentence right then is that correct i wasn't sentenced yet. Oh, you, you hadn't been sentenced yet. okay a year and a half later okay yeah. and then and the yeah. deal was they're going to help you at sentencing time so did you have to do some more time yes i end up doing 30 months Okay, and and so during that thirty months, uh, were you able to uh, uh, practice, if you will, your your new lifestyle, Christianity? Could you live that life? Were there Bible uh, groups in prison? Did you get involved with that? How, how did you maintain it? That's the interesting part of, I believe, my story is how the Spirit of God, because my cry uh, was to get to know Jesus more. I wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, once I cooperated with, once I told the government I would cooperate with them, I got moved from Rikers Island to Dade County uh, Jail. And you would think that, okay, I have Jesus in my life. I have the government in my life working yeah. with me now. I'm going to work together that things would get easier. Yeah. It didn't happen that way. Yeah. So the first time I went to Dade County Jail, I was locked up 23 hours a day yeah i can imagine yeah so i had to do that but the, the good part of it was i had a phone and a tv and i would spend a lot of that time either calling my mom talking to my mom people who wanted to talk to me yeah or watching christian television and that's just all i did but i got to spend special time when that girl said read the bible i finally got that bible and started reading it yeah so a lot of my jail time was spent reading god's word daily every day for hours of time but every place that they were moving me the government was moving from one jail to another i would either get two bible studies i got baptized rebaptized in in uh indian river county jail and then from there i got sentenced and sent to sandstone minnesota and there we had three Bible studies and a whole bunch of, uh, there was about nine or 10 of us Christian guys that would pray every night over yeah. our circumstances and situations. So God honored the sincerity and the cry of my heart to get to know Jesus more. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, if you delight, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. I think I was living that out. Yeah, really. And, and you Still can there. find like-minded people, which is hugely important. I mean, that's, it's one thing to really believe, but but just alone, it can get really hard, especially like in solitary confinement. That takes a lot of faith. But then to find like-minded people to share that with had to be a, just a huge uh, uh, godsend for you, if you will. Well, it was a spiritual awakening in a sense, because now, I mean, I didn't have a life. You know, people say, was it tough? In, in prison and i have to say the last time i was in prison was probably one of my closest times of a relationship with jesus christ because i didn't have to worry about rent or food yeah, or anything yeah. else i could, could i could just focus on god's word and the promises of god's word and you know before i left 
jail 60 days before I was going to go in and be brought into the witness protection program with a new identity and everything. I would put the Bible on the floor, lay down, put my head in it, and I would pray, God, let your words penetrate my mind that I never forget them. Yeah. And I would put my chest in it and my heart in the Bible on the floor. And I say, God, let your word penetrate my heart that I would live by. Now, I'm not saying there's anything miraculous about that, what I did, but I believe the sincerity of what I wanted was demonstrated through that there, yeah. and God honored it. Yeah, it's more of an act of faith than anything. Yes. And, and it was a strong act of faith. So you go into Witness Protection Program, and you take on a different name now. Robert Borelli, that's your real name. That's your born name, correct? That's my, that was, that's, that, Robert Borelli is my new name. Oh, that's your new name. Okay. Yeah. And, and my so, first name was Robert Angle. That's what I was born. Okay. I was born half German, so I could never get, never get strained out. My dad was German. Ah, all right. So that's so why you, I was always considered an associate, not a made man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't really realize that. Yeah. And, and so then in witness protection, you take on the Italian last name, which is honors your Italian heritage and, and kind of an interesting little uh, play on your life. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. You come out. Addiction did that? Did addiction problems come back? Did it? Did that haunt you in any manner? Did you feel the need to use or to drink again, or was that you feel like that was pretty well healed while you were in penitentiary? I think God did a great work in redeeming me, uh, yeah. healing that and removing and uh, uh, delivering me from the bondages that I once was in. Okay, yeah, that's a good. I think that's a good way to put it. So now you got to make a living. And and reestablish yourself in in some other state in some place where people don't know you and and uh, was it Texas? I mean, did you are you like? I think we were when you and I were joking about how you were like uh, uh, Henry Hill talked about you're out in some small town with your New York accent. <laughs> I well, I was brought to San Antonio, Texas. That's where I was relocated. And it took a couple of weeks to get all the identification done yeah. and all that there. It was kind of a lonely time for me. And what you said was because, you know, the government helps you get on your feet, but they don't support you for the rest of your life. Yeah. My main concern was I didn't have a great education. Everything that I did learn to, to, to make money for myself, I'm not going to live like that anymore. So what is a guy like me? How am I going to provide for myself? I don't have friends around me where I could ask for favors or stuff like that. And what I did was I stayed in, you know, and they put me in a hotel for the first couple of uh, months. And um, I would take scripture and I would stand on the promises of God. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, it's, he gives an illustration of how God provided for the lilies of the fields and how they're mm -hmm. arrayed and the birds of the air, how he feeds them. And then in 633, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I just stood on that promise because I was afraid, like, how am I going to survive? How am I yeah. going to do Once the government lets me go, what am I supposed to do for myself? But I stood on that promise. And I have to tell you, up until this day, God has never failed. He has kept me, provided for me in ways which were miraculous ways in certain 
circumstances and um, delivered me uh, from the bondage of where I was and, and actually put me in a place where I could share um, his, his love to other people. Did, did you get connected up with the church once you kind of got on your feet down there? Well, once I got on my feet, I was, uh, um, I got involved with a, with a, with a church, um, called Evers Road Christian Church. And, uh, that was my sanctuary. I would go every morning. I mean, these pastors had to get tired of me, but they were, <laughs> but, but they, they, were, they were very patient with me. I would go every morning get donuts, they had the coffee, and I, every morning I'd be in their office just trying to get more, absorb more, and, and share. You know, I was in the witness protection program, so I couldn't tell anybody I was in the witness protection yeah. program. But with the pastor, I had to do that because I thought if something happened, uh, me coming around a lot, that they would know that. So I kind of breached my security in that way. But then also I married somebody from New York <laughs> and when the government found that out, they said I breached my security, and that's when they threw me out of the program. Oh, really? Yes, but the good thing is now my wife, who's a born-again Christian, also said, she said, now you can go around and share what God has done in your life, and that's yeah. how the ministry started. So you started that. Now, did you have some kind of a entry-level job just to have something to do for a while? before You, well, you yeah, obviously went into a ministry and, and started preaching preaching and and going around giving talks which is a way to earn some money but but did you have a kind of entry level job for a while my first job was at HEB trying to stock shelves yeah and i had to start like 11 o'clock at night until eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> and i cried every night going to work i hated the job yeah I was cutting my fingers with the boxes I wasn't good at it. It lasted about two weeks. And then a pastor friend of mine recommended that I go uh, and do um, real estate. Now, I'm not thinking big time because, you know, to be successful in real estate, you got to get your picture out there. It wasn't probably the smartest thing to do <laughs> yeah. while in the witness protection program. But uh, then the government, like I said, threw me out. And when people found out where I was through my wife on accident, um, I had to leave that there. And then, but I did nursing home ministry for 13 years. Uh, when I came out of the program, I was brought to San Antonio, Texas. My mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. My mom passed away while I was in the witness protection program. There was no way for them to notify me. I didn't find out my mom passed away until three days after she passed away. Oh, man. And because I was in the witness protection program, I couldn't go to her funeral or her services. And I cried out to God and didn't understand because this new love that he gave me, I wanted to share it with my mom, who I put too much through so much trouble while I was being the person I used to be. And uh, God put in my heart to start giving that love to other people in nursing homes. So I did nursing home ministry for 13 years. And once I got thrown out of the witness protection program, I, I went to a Bible institute called Christ for the Nations, and I moved to Dallas, Texas. Okay. And I did two years of schooling there and then one year at Crystal College. So I wanted to get more of God. Was I was chasing after God the way I used to chase after crack cocaine. Uh -huh. you know? But it was a, 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 it was a much rewarding chase, let me tell you that one. <laughs>
Well, good. This is it's been a really inspirational story. I'm telling you, Robert. I was uh, you kind of blown me away. It's uh, it, it's you greatly exceeded my expectations with your story and your yeah your the way you've told it and everything. It's uh, it's re really inspiring. I uh, I really uh, you know I have a have a great admiration for what you've been able to do with your life. It's uh, to come from where you came from to where you are now. So uh, now, what are you doing now? You you've got a website. Well, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I think you know about the book. Got your book? Yeah, you got the a book. So I co-authored a book. Now I didn't do any of the writing. It was H. Scott Hunt wrote the book for me. Mm -hmm. And it took about three and a half years to get that book uh, out. And uh, so we wrote a book. I go around speaking now. Uh, I did valet parking for 17 years to support whatever, you know, me and my wife. And of course, my wife worked. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got really sick and that I couldn't do that job anymore. Uh, and plus it closed down. So now what I do is I focus on just trying to share you know, the, this is what I try to let people know is the born again experience, the way the government gave me a new identity, a new social security number, my slate is white, my slate is white clean. There's no record of Robert Engel existing anymore in my yeah. life. You could take my prints, you could do whatever you want. You're never going to find a record of Robert Engel, of Robert Borelli. There's, in other words, I was born again in 1999. Yeah. Got a new name, new social security <laughs> number, new birth certificate, new yeah. everything. And what the government did in my natural life, God did in my spiritual life. I have a new identity in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, all things are new. And what I tell people at the end of every time I talk, I want to bring a message of hope what God, how God could transform a life if we surrender it to Jesus. Just surrender our lives to Him, let Him take full control. And let him do the operating in our lives. All we have to do is submit to the calling that he's placed on us. So I tell people <clears throat> that I thank Jesus Christ every day. That I might not be everything that people want me to be. I'm definitely not everything that I'd like me to be. But I thank God every day that by the debt blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I'm no longer who I used to be. Cool. And it's never too late for a new beginning. So remember, where you're stuck, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, no matter what bondages you may be caught up in, it's never too late for a new beginning. God could change it if we just surrendered those things, those bondages over to him and let him take control of our life. And that's what I try to do. My brother, bring hope. To people who might feel hopeless, like I felt in Rikers Island, you know, at one point in time, I was considered Robert the Crackhead. I'm probably going to die Robert the Crackhead. Yeah. But God had a different plan. <laughs> and I thank him every day for that. Well, we never know in our lives, do we, what, what's going to happen. And as I said, Robert, this is this has been one of the, uh, I don't know, in my mind, one of the best interviews I've ever done. And, and I hope you guys out here enjoyed this i i have immensely uh, gotten personal satisfaction and and personal uh uh probably spiritual growth if you will out of out of your story and the the uh, uh, uh 
the positive message that you're bringing to people today. Now, are, are you do go around do talks? Do you are you in a, with the speakers bureau? You're a pretty good talker, and, and it's really. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I don't mean that. It, it sounds derogatory, I know, but 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 you give a really from you're you're speaking from the heart, and so it's so real. Do you go around give talks now? Yeah, I I go talking or uh, wherever people open up doors for me. I'm not in a speakers thing or anything like okay. that. Um, <clears throat> I have a hard time trying to tell people they need to pay me to come and speak. So I, <laughs> do, I know the know, feeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so well, I asked them to do if they could do a love offering to, to support yeah. the ministry. I have a website called robertbarelli.com. It has a lot of interviews, a lot of talks that I've done there. It has ways for people to donate. Or if anybody even wants to get a book, a signed autograph book from me, they can go to my website, Robert borelli.com make any donation give me the details of where you want the book sent i will sign it and mail it out personally or they could go to amazon.com and purchase the book if they're interested uh <clears throat> but i can't sign it because they'll be getting from amazon.com <laughs> and it's a lot more money yeah know? yeah plus so that, that's just what i do it's about the ministry growing so that i can get out there more and when people can't uh don't have a budget to bring me in uh, I would still be able to do that. It's not about uh, me making a living off yeah. of it. It's about me just being able to uh, do what God has called me to do. And of course, you know, I do have to provide for my family at the same yeah, time. So. I got you. I understand. Well, Robert, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's It's been amazing and inspirational. I, I, I really appreciate you. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you for allowing me and giving me this opportunity to speak about what God has done in my life. Well, let me just tell everybody what he's done in my life, he wants to do in their life too. In John 10, 10, it says this here, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come to give you life and an abundant life. We want that abundant life, and that's the life only Jesus can give us. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Robert. All right. God bless. God bless. All right. Bye.